person who is in charge of this world. Satan. God tells us that the prince of this world is Satan. The one who is in charge of this world would like us to forget what we see on the screen. Would like us to hide that from our children. Don't talk about that brutality. Don't talk about that brutality with our neighbors. Don't remember how brutal it was. And yet, Jesus in His wisdom, knowing that this death was coming, made sure that He wrote words or spoke words or communicated words that would help those who would experience His death find hope. See, we don't like to think about death. I don't even want to think about what I'd want my children to remember when I die. That's what we tend to do. Now, that's not what I do. My kids, I've talked to them about it. I've got some instructions. I've got some information. Because I know they're going to be so full of sorrow. And yet, through the words that I give to them, or I prepare ahead of time, they can be used to bring comfort. Jesus made sure words were communicated from His very self to help people when death came. And as Luke told us in Luke 22.19, Jesus said, this is My body which is given for you. And when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, we are to remember that it all came about for me. For you. Jesus made sure many things were communicated about that experience so that those words would be brought up to us. But you see, the one who is in charge of this world and those of this world who follow Him do not want us to think about the crucifixion. They do not want us to think about how brutal it is. Now, if, if you've studied anything on the crucifixion, you're probably looking at the video and you say, I don't know if it happened like that. I don't think that was correct. And the Bible doesn't really tell us every procedure through the crucifixion. And so we have to look at how the Romans would have done it, how the body might have stayed on the cross. Could you drive nails into a person's hand when they're high in the air? You know, all those things we want to argue with. When we, we should just realize we don't have all those details except to study ancient history of how maybe they did this to people and the Romans did this quite regularly. But what we are to remember is that He was crucified and it was very brutal. And people who do not want to believe in Him want to say, why didn't God, if He's so in control of everything, make it easier? Because you see, Jesus said before it happened that it would be for our sin. And that requires a sacrifice. And when we look at the crucifixion, we see the sacrifice. It's because of sin that Jesus faced the brutality of the cross 
Our God stepped out of heaven, became like one of us, took on this physical form. Our God experienced a terrible treatment at the hands of His creation like you and I. And He faced this brutality for one reason. To show us that the inflicted evil we bring into our lives can be overcome. I hope you never forget what Jesus did for you on the cross. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Luke, the 23rd chapter if you would. We're going to begin at the 32nd verse. Okay, If you've got those New Testaments, it's page 74. And let me encourage you, uh, there are New Testaments in the lobby on the table and those are free to take and you can bring them in and use those and, and mark them up and take them with you and bring them back next week. But Luke, the 24th chapter, verse 32 is where we're going to begin. Page 74. But before we do, let's just bow together for prayer. Father, we come to You. Who else can we come to to help us with our lostness? Who else can we turn to to help us with our sin? Who else can we turn to so that we can move from the past of wrong decisions and wrong actions into the light of Your Word that You forgive us? As we look at these next few verses, God, help us to see your love and comprehend your compassion. Help us to realize that just as your Son gave himself for us, we are to give ourselves for him. Yes, we turn to You, God. Because who else is there to turn to? Father, we offer these words in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Look there at verse 32. Last week we got Jesus on the cross, and now verse 32 says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed Him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on His right and one on His left. For the sake of time, Isaiah 53.12 tells us this was going to happen, that Jesus was going to die amongst rebels, sinners. And I call attention to that not to impress you with, boy, don't I know the Old Testament. I call attention to that because it's important that you and I realize that God is revealing to us, Isaiah is written 700 years before this occurs, 
with Jesus dying on the cross, God is telling us He can predict the future. God is telling us that He knows what is going to happen because God wants us to understand that this book is His book. It is this book that we must know. It is this book we must read. It is this book that we learn from. You see, God gives us this information hundreds of years before it happens so that we can understand that everything that happened with Jesus is all according to God's plan. You can make your choices. You can choose to do what God wants or not do what God wants. But you cannot prevent God's plan from coming about. And He gives us these prophecies and these predicted future statements to make us realize He is in charge. And so when it says there's two criminals beside Jesus, God told us 700 years before He would die looking like the loser. Dying with common rebels. It goes on in verse 34, Jesus said, look, look at this, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. How amazing! How amazing! Do you hear His compassion? Do you hear His love? Can you comprehend this is God in the midst of the brutal treatment that we do? who offers the word of forgiveness, who offers the idea that I know you do not have to be caught in this wrong behavior, this wrong deed that you're doing, this wrong action. People today tend to hold ill feelings when wrong is done. But not God! That's what Jesus is showing us. And you may have a parent, you may have a father, you may have a mother, you may have a son or a daughter, you may have a brother or a sister, someone out there, and you feel the wrath of their ill feelings again and again by their snide remarks, by the ways they try to hurt you, to injure you. People tend to do that, but not God. God offers us a beginning that is different from our past. God offers us a new day. God offers us forgiveness. Can you imagine? Those Jewish leaders are there watching Him being crucified. You're going to see in a little bit, they're going to poke fun at Him because He's hanging there in such a miserable state. And the very people who wronged Him, Jesus is looking at and Jesus is saying, Father, Forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And you and I need to hear that today. See, if we forget the cross, we're trapped in our sins. If we forget the cross and the love of God and the forgiveness of God, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in what I shouldn't have done whenever I was 16. I'm stuck. And what I did whenever I was 22 or, or 48 or, or 60, whatever. God offers us forgiveness. 
If you have your, your worship handout, look at the first blank. The statement I had written there. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do that Jesus can't forgive. It is never too late to receive Jesus' forgiveness. Anyone can come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. Let me tell you, you need Jesus. The cross is where it all comes about. The forgiveness of God hung on that cross that day. And you're never too deep in your sin. You're never too long in your sin. You're never too trapped in your sin that you can't receive forgiveness. You need Jesus. Look, verse 34 goes on. It says, And the soldiers gambled for His clothes by throwing dice. Let me just say, all the soldiers saw Jesus for was what they could get from Him. That's all they could see. Hey, let's take His clothes. But who's going to get His clothes? So they gamble for them. That's all they see Jesus for. You know, you and I got to be careful. Sometimes all we see Jesus for is what we can get from Him. That's all. I'll put up with the behaviors that a Christian ought to do as long as I can feel I'm getting something from Jesus. That's all these guys do. These are tough guys, these Roman soldiers. The Green Beret during the Vietnam era were trained by some of the same tactics that the Roman soldiers were trained by. These were tough guys. But they weren't tough to defend Jesus. They were tough to defend themselves. And you're a tough guy. You're a tough gal. But are you tough to defend Jesus? Or are you just tough because you can stand up for yourself? You can defend yourself. You're going to get what you want. Don't quit on Jesus. Don't give up living and loving for Jesus. Don't see Jesus for just someone whom you can get from. See Him as someone to follow and you can give. It goes on in verse 35. It says, The crowds watched and the leaders scoffed. You see, they're there. They're there. I wonder what they felt when He said, Father, forgive them. They, they just don't understand what they're doing. They scoffed. He saved others, they said. Look, look now they're poking fun of Him. He saved others, they said. Let Him save Himself if He is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. You see, here's what they're saying. These religious people are saying, okay, Jesus, if you're great, then do something great in me. And I'm going to tell you, we're not much different today. If you're great, heal me. If you're great, don't have this crisis in my life. If you're great, don't make me have to make this tough choice. If you're great, don't put this before me. If you're great, I don't want to have to live life with this burden. If you're great. And that's what they're saying. We're watching this. And Jesus... If you really can save, if you can help others, then help yourself. In other words, come on. Do something great. It's easy for my children to love me whenever I do things for them. 
It's quite another thing for them to show love to me. Whenever maybe I'm not so nice. Or I can't meet the expectation that they have. These people are looking at Jesus and they're rebuking Him. They're mocking Him and they're saying, okay, if you are great, then do something great. And we need to be careful today that we don't do the same thing to Him. It goes on in 36, the soldiers mocked Him too. Yeah, you know, that, that's how it works with humans. Once somebody starts mocking, other people pick it up. Once somebody gets outspoken, other people start picking up. You know how it is. Come on, if you deal with Facebook, once somebody gets negative, all of a sudden somebody else is putting negative and somebody else is putting negative. And pretty soon somebody's out there and they're a terrible person because everybody just gangs up. But who will speak up to try to shed the light and love of God in those kinds of situations? It's easy to mock. It's quite another thing to stand strong, be a tough person for Jesus. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. The religious leaders are mocking him and say, come on, you helped others, you did great things, you saved people, save yourself, do something great. So here's the soldiers saying, Jesus, we're watching. You're not impressing us, man. If you're really who you say you are, then do something impressive. And you and I got to be careful because this life, sin has corrupted everything about this life. Romans 8 chapter says, even creation itself is looking forward to the return of Christ so that it will be redeemed because everything has been corrupted on this earth, by sin. And so your life is impacted, not just because you do a sinful action, but because sin has impacted everything. And so what do we say? I'll hang out with Jesus as long as something impressive happens in my life. But let it be routine. Let it be not so impressive. I don't know about this. Some of us are no different than the soldiers that day. 38 says, A sign was fastened to the cross above Him with these words, This is the King of the Jews. You know, a sign was put on the cross so that those who watched realized why the person's being crucified. Jesus is being crucified because He says He's a King. The King of the Jews, the King of the world. Goes on in 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Oh, listen, it starts with the religious leaders. Isn't that amazing? It starts with people who say they're people of God. And then it moves to those who are just Romans who don't even care about Jewish people. And then it moves to a man who is going through the same pain Jesus is going through. He's, he's being crucified. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourselves and us too while you're at it. Listen, what I'm trying to bring out here is be careful because the world wants to drag you into its negativity. It's putting down. 
It wants to drag you into not showing the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And we've got to stand strong, living and loving like Jesus in a world that often does not exhibit the love that Jesus exhibited. This man, this man, he's just like the leaders, the Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers. Do something impressive, Jesus. He's just like Herod. Remember that? Two sermons back? He just wants to get something from Jesus. <laughs> See, saving yourself and at the same time, us too. That's all he sees. There's no love for Jesus here. All there is is self-love. No love for Jesus. And we've got to be careful that we don't gravitate toward that kind of an experience. It goes on in verse 40. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has, hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Look at the difference. Everybody else is saying, prove who you are. Do something to impress us. Do something great. This man says, we're caught in this situation and I think we're going to stay in this situation and we're going to die. To Jesus. However he got this understanding of the next life, whether his parents raised him, that there's a kingdom, a paradise, an experience to go on to. He looks at Jesus and he says, you remember me as we move in this transition. How much faith, how much faith when you get bad news, when the doctor says your health is not going to get better, and the conversation is between you and God. And by all means, you have all the right to pray for healing. But if you think death is not going to come, then you don't even read the Word of God correctly. Unless the Lord intercedes before your death and my death, we all will die physically. All you can do is say, heal me God. And you forget the words that says, Father, remember me as we move on into your kingdom. You see, He doesn't leave us. And I could move from the death experience to whenever the finances aren't going to work out. You're never going to get richer. The increase in pay is never going to come. And yet the kingdom of God moves on, so you just got to learn to use what you have to exist as the kingdom moves on. That person's never going to love you again. That child may never come back and as an adult might reject you. You should pray for God's intercession, but the kingdom of God will move on and you need to Keep your faith and learn how to cope and manage honoring 
who your Lord is, living like Him, loving like Him, even in the midst of not being able to obtain that which you want. This man, you think he wants to die? But he hears, he hears these religious people. Look, this man's a Jew, surely, because Romans can't be crucified. So he's either a Jew or he's a non-Roman. And he hears these, these Jewish religious leaders mock Jesus. Do something great. Prove who you are. He hears these soldiers mock Jesus. You haven't impressed us yet, buddy. And he even hears this other guy saying, come on, give me something. If you are as great as you are, then save yourself. And by the way, just pull us down off the cross also. And this man looks at Jesus and he says, in his mind, apparently death is going to happen to all three of us. But I believe in you. And so I tie my future after death with you. And that's what you and I do when we put faith in Him. That's what we do. And it's hard for us because you see, we can't understand what is after death unless we read in the Scriptures things that God tells us. And man for eons of time have tried to figure out what happens after we die. Some people are going to respond to Jesus in unbelief. I hope that's not you. Some people are going to respond to Jesus in belief. I hope that is you. We see it right here at the cross. Look at 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus never lets down anyone who places their faith in Him. That's all you need to remember right there. 44, by this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Let me just say, the temple. The temple in Jerusalem where all the Jews would pilgrimage to throughout Israel. The temple had three, three sections basically. It had the courts for the people. And I can impress you by trying to describe the courts of the Gentile and the courts of the late, but I, that's not important. It had three sections. The courts where the people hung out. And then it had the, the holy place. And only the priest could go into the holy place. And then it had the most holy place. And only the high priest could go into the most holy place. And once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place, or the holy of holies, sometimes we refer to it as. And he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people once each year. And there was a curtain Jewish history. Well, Old Testament tells us about it. A curtain between the entrance into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and the holy place. The curtain was 30 feet wide. The curtain was 60 feet tall. Now think about that. Only one person is going behind it. There's going to be a crowd of people trying to break through. Why so wide? Why so tall? Because it represented the barrier. 
Because God dwelt in the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. And only the high priest could go in there to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this curtain is torn in two. God tears it in two. Because see, this curtain represented the separation of humanity from God's presence. And in the death of Jesus, the curtain tears in two. God says, anyone can enter the Holy of Holies. Anyone can enter the most holy place. Which is a personal relationship with God Himself. And you know, when sin seems to take charge of your life, you don't feel like you deserve to go into that holy place. When you can't get free from the conflict that sin brings in your life, at times you feel like you don't have a right to go in that most holy place. Why would God even want you in His presence? But the death of Jesus destroyed the barrier. And through Christ, any of us, the most vile of sinners, Your ex-mate. That person at work that you just literally can't stand. That person who's ruined your reputation. Whoever you might consider the most vile person. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God makes it possible for that person to come into a relationship with Him. Now people can approach God directly through Jesus Christ. It's not through me. It's not through a building called a church. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. The only reason we do this is because we learn that God did this with His people in the book of Acts as He developed His church. Because we need one another. My life without you will begin to have difficulty. Your life without Christians will lose its encouragement. That's why the Bible says in the New Testament, not to forsake. Coming together like this. Within 30, 50 years, there's Christians who are saying, I don't need to be with other Christians at church, as we call it. They would have just called it getting together. The Bible says, don't forsake that. Joining together, but encourage one another. We need the encouragement. It goes on in 46, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, He breathed His last. And when the Roman officers overseeing the execution saw what had happened, He worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. All I can say about this Roman soldier is this. He watched it all. And he watched Jesus, apparently. He watched it all. And he watched Jesus. And he sees Jesus not speaking bad toward the Jewish leaders. He watched Jesus' reactions toward them. He watched Jesus' reaction toward, toward that criminal who said, remember me. He watched Jesus through all this cruelty and all this brutality. And you know what he declares? Jesus is not a troublemaker. If you've been with me in these last few sermons, I've talked about that. 
Jesus is innocent of being a troublemaker. He is not a problem person. Look how He handles all this cruelty and His death. That's why so often I say, get to know the character of Jesus and you'll fall in love with Him. This soldier apparently watched all that was going on and he saw the character of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. And he says, I've come to a conclusion. That man is not a troublemaker. And you know this world's looking for that man. The problem is, the world is full of a lot of troublemakers. Now listen. And you and I need to enter their presence. And we need not to be the troublemaker. We represent Christ. We live for Christ. The Bible says... Christ in you is what? The hope of the world. Your family's hope is not how everybody else in your family lives. It's how you live for Christ. Your marriage hope is not how your mate lives. It's how you live for Christ. Where you work at. The hope of your workplace is not all those other people. It's how you live for Christ. This community, it's hope. Is found in you. You realize how many say they're Christ, they're Christians, they're followers of Christ. The character of Jesus ought to come forth. It did that day, and that man says, Christ is not a troublemaker. And if you and I would live for him in our marriages, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces people would begin changing their minds about Christ, that He's not a troublemaker. Because they'd see His character as we live. If we don't see Christ's character, if we don't see His love and compassion, if we don't understand what He did for us that day on the cross, we lose so much. Look at the next blank on your message map. When we fail to remember what it cost Jesus to deliver us, we tend to treat our relationship with Him cheaply and with disregard to how it should impact how we live and what we choose to do. I could treat my wife terrible if I don't live in love like Christ. I can mistreat my children. Oh, I don't beat them and I don't abuse them in that sense. But you know, I'm so sarcastic and mean-spirited toward them that it just crushes them. I can take that to where I work. I can do that through technology. When we forget what Christ did for us, we tend to treat that relationship very, very cheaply in regard to how I am to live. How my life should be impacting the lives of those around us. goes on in verse 48, And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed Him from Galilee, stood at a distance. Many watched that day. Okay, Some of them believed in Jesus. Some of them didn't believe in Jesus. 
Some of them said, you know, I didn't cause this to happen. I was just in town and thought I'd come down and see what's happening. And there's some of us who say, listen, I'm not a bad person. I don't oppose Christianity. But really, I don't get involved with the cause of Christ. I'm not a bad person. I'm just sort of indifferent. I'm just watching. I come whenever I want to come. I look at the few Christians I look at. What I end up doing is I'm just an observer. And you know you are because listen, you make your decisions based on your internal judgment, not the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah, many watched. Some left with great sorrow. Some, well, just another day in the life of the people in Jerusalem. Look at your screen again. I mean, on your message map. No, no, the screen. Look at Matthew. Let's go to Matthew first. Anyone who isn't with me, Jesus says, opposes me. You see, you can't stay neutral. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. It's impossible to stay neutral when it comes to Jesus. It is. I either love or I don't. I can't, I can't play it middle of the road. I'm either for Christ or I oppose Christ. And yet we can watch and we can observe and we refuse to follow Christ. And when we do, we're working against Christ. That's how serious it is to try to stay neutral. To try to say, well, I don't get too excited. I don't get too involved. Not anything in your life is more important than following Jesus. Not anything in your life is more important than living and loving like Jesus. You need Jesus. And Satan will get as much as he can into your life to pull you away from that. To get you so occupied. You will say, I know I need Jesus, but I don't have and you won't take the time. And you oppose Him then. You're either for Him, or you're against Him. Christianity is unlike the world religions. It is not a philosophy. It is not a theory. It is not an ideology. Listen, Christianity is about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And people who claim to be Christians are not about some kind of theology or some kind of ideology or some kind of theory or some kind of philosophy how to live. They are about a person. Jesus. Living and loving like Jesus. That's the difference between Christianity and the world religions. Jesus died for our sins. He died for the entire human race so that we might know Him in a very personal way. There is not anything in your life more important than Jesus. The most important decision you will make in your life, listen, is not who you will marry. And I think that's extremely important. I might put that on the list of the second most important decision. You may have a different one. But I'm going to tell you, it's not the most important decision. The most important decision you make is who you will worship as your God. The most important decision you will make is who you will follow and live like and live for. And some might say, oh no, 
Look at the next blank on your worship handout. The most important decision you will ever make is who you will worship. Who is your God? And some of you say, well, it's God. But when you look in the mirror, listen to me, when you look in the mirror, you're looking at your God for many people. You see, because when you look in the mirror, you're looking at the person who has the highest authority in your life. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at the one you trust the most. Your decisions are all about you. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at the person who becomes the judge of your life. When that's true, then you know who's God. When that's true, you know you are God. Every one of us has to decide who we're going to follow. Every one of us has to decide that I cannot help myself. And you know, the more years you live and the more years you look at you being God, you know you can't help yourself. But the problem is, you've been digging a hole. And you just keep digging it. And that's crazy. To know you're in a hole and you just keep digging that hole. The same person gets out of the hole. Jesus Christ is the way. The key to life's fulfillment and contentment is to follow the correct God to follow Jesus Christ. The key to life's fulfillment and contentment is to live and love like Jesus. The key to life's contentment, now listen to me, to life's fulfillment contentment is to marry someone who also will follow the correct God, who will follow Jesus Christ. The key to life's fulfillment and contentment is with that mate that you marry, that both of you follow the correct God, you follow Jesus Christ, and you raise up children. Listen, you raise up children that learn. You don't follow automobiles. You don't follow pleasure. You don't follow whatever it is, but you follow the correct God. You follow Jesus Christ. The key to fulfillment and contentment in our lives is that we raise up a family that learns to follow Christ, to live and love like Jesus. And then, listen to me, we trust God that through the years, He will raise up descendants of ours who will demonstrate who the correct God is in their life. That Jesus Christ is who they follow. Many of us know the difficulties that take place in our families. And we can't understand, why does dad act like that? Why does mom act like that? Why does brother do that? Why does sister do that? Why does son do that? Why does daughter do that? Because we've influenced them to follow the incorrect God. Now listen to me. Somebody says, well, how do I get away from that? We return to the cross of Christ and remember that He paid the price for our wrong, our sin. And we declare to Him 
His Lordship again. And we follow Him. We live and love like Him. You want to pass on a legacy legacy of following Jesus Christ? Following the correct God? Then today, don't care what happened yesterday, today, begin living and loving like Jesus. It's infectious. Like it was to that Roman soldier who saw the character of Christ. It will impact the people you're married, the person you're married to, the children you have, the people you work with. Matter of fact, look on the screen. Paul tried to communicate how important it was. He said, I pass on to you. He wrote this 22 years after Christ. Okay? He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the Scripture says. Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you the most important thing is don't forget the cross of Christ. It's the driving force. His forgiveness in my life brings my forgiveness into my marriage, my family, my relationship with all people. He goes on, He was buried, He was raised from the dead. We're going to get to that in Luke. On the third day, just as the Scripture says, He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, He was seen by more than 500 of His followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He was seen by James and later by all the apostles 22 years after Christ. People could go up to Paul and say, who are some of these 500? People could go up and they could talk to some of these people who Paul would call attention to. 22 years they can check it out. You and I can't. We're 2,000 years removed. But there in that location, 22 years later, Paul said, I'm telling you, I want to remind you Christians, I want to remind you people, the most important thing is the cross of Jesus Christ and that He offers us new beginnings. And the evidence is His resurrection. And that evidence of the resurrection is the testimony of those who saw Him. Go ask Him. Go ask Him. Today we can't go ask Him. You know who we go ask? People who want to know about Jesus? If you and I show the love of Jesus and we live like Jesus, people will come and ask us. How can you believe? Why do you believe? And we begin giving our testimony. Just as Paul was wanting them to do that. Look at the next Scripture from the book of Romans. This is written 25 years after Christ. Paul wrote, So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every sinner that will connect their future with Jesus Christ as Lord, who will turn from their sins and commit themselves to the Lordship of Christ, will know eternal life. Eternal life is just not dying and going to heaven. I'm sorry if you grew up in a church. That's all we said it was. Eternal life is a relationship with God that begins when you say, I'm sorry for my sins. I turn to Christ who died for me as my Lord. You begin experiencing a relationship with God. God loves you and God wants that relationship. Relationship. Paul was encouraging people who heard this 
to turn to Christ. God is waiting for people. Matter of fact, Peter tells us the only reason Jesus hasn't come back is because God is being patient, wanting to see people come to Christ and to salvation. And today you can come to Christ. Look at the last blank on your worship handout. The only thing worse than what Jesus suffered on the cross is what a person will suffer if that person does not belong to Jesus. I say it again, you need Jesus. And today I invite you to become a follower of Jesus. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ as Lord. I'm going to lead us in what I call the prayer of faith. It's a prayer that many of us have prayed. Oh, the words might be a little bit different, but it's a prayer that just says to God, you know, God, I believe that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I believe Jesus is Your Son who died for my sins. And I want Him to be Lord of my life. If today you need to pray that prayer, then I invite you to do it. I'd like everybody just to bow their heads. I'm going to say the words. You say it with your mind's voice to God. It's the most important decision you will ever make. Just repeat these words in your mind's voice. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. And I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for living life the way I want to live it. I am sorry for ignoring what You would want in my life. I ask You to forgive me of my sins. And I believe what I've seen and heard or heard. That Jesus Christ was Your Son who died on the cross for me. I believe He rose from that death. I want Him to come into my life and be my Lord. I commit myself today to follow Jesus in the ways You show me. Thank You for saving me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me say, those words, what Satan's going to tell you if you prayed those words, he's going to tell you in a few minutes or a few days, come on, you think that? Saved you? Come on. Matter of fact, you're going to do some sin. He's going to say, you think you really meant it? See, he's going to cause all kinds of conflict about your relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you right now, you see, because we're just a few seconds from that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, did you mean it? And if you meant it, God knows and you know. And I'd recommend you write down today's date inside a Bible. And you just remember some of the words you prayed, you write those down. And when Satan tells you, oh, you must not have meant it, you just open it up and you read it again. And let God warm your heart because you know on this day, March 16th, whether you meant it or not. And listen, God knows you meant it. All Satan wants to do is cause you to doubt it.
when my son was 16 years of age, he came with a very heavy heart and said, how do I know I'm a Christian, Dad? I said, that's a good question. Why do you ask? Sometimes I wonder. I wonder if really I am a Christian. I says, yeah, I can understand the feeling. I say, hey, I, what what you do? I got all I got all my children in our living room. I said, you go get our memory book. You know, you got a book, got pictures and some memories. And he went and got it. And he brought it back. By that time, I had everybody. Laura, the others were kids. I said, now, in there is a page where you wrote what you did when you asked Jesus in your life. I think he was like 10 years of age. He, he found that and he began reading it and he started crying. And then I just talked to him about how Satan wants to cause us to doubt when God just wants to reassure us. I talked about why that's so important that we stay close to God's people. Because if we get alone, Satan will just fill our minds full of our wrong decisions. Our unworthiness. That we'll start throwing off the things God wants to stay permanent in our life. So I said, you know what you need to do? Now you need to take that and write it in your Bible. And every time you change your Bible, you rewrite that. And when Satan comes and says, you're not a Christian, you look at that. Because you see, and it was in his own handwriting. That day when you wrote that, I said, do you really mean that, son? And you said, yes. And you just tell the devil, I know what happened when I was 10. Don't ever forget the cross. The cross will keep you sane. The cross will bring you peace. Don't ever forget the cross. The cross will make possible your life's contentment. You keep worshiping the correct God. You keep following Jesus. And you'll find the path to the conflict in this world. Let's bow together and then we're finished. I'm going to pray. Father, thank You for these words. And thank You for the experiences of life that reminds us of how good Christ is. And help us, Father. Help us in our marriages and our families where we play and where we work to live and love like Jesus. For God, in a world that seems so hopeless, the hope of the world, you tell us, is Jesus in us. Let that come forth. Even today, as we eat together and as we associate with others. We ask this so that Christ will be glorified. Amen.